Don't forget to record. There you go. Oh, yeah. Betsy's here. <laughs> I wasn't going to hit that button until Betsy was here. <laughs> anyway, welcome everybody to our Thursday night session. Um, we're going to be looking some more in Ken's 50 Miracle Principles. Uh, hopefully, we'll get through 29 through whatever it is, the quick ones. They got a whole bunch of short ones in there. So we'll get through as many as we can. First, I wanted to cover some fundamental issues, um, not issues, but just certainly some fundamental metaphysics that always frame whatever it is we're talking about, that always frame what we're trying to get across on the chart, that always frame what the real bottom line problem is that isn't really a problem. <laughs> we just made it up to be a problem, and then we were off and running, making up all these other seeming problems to disguise what the real quote-unquote problem was. So one of the ways of looking at um, the tiny mad idea of separation is in chapter 27, where Jesus says there crept a tiny mad idea of separation into eternity. And, uh, you know, lately I've been saying Jesus lies. Okay, so Jesus tells these nice little fibs because he's, in, in one sense, he's looking at it from where we are, from where we are as a seeming separated son of God. When we're looking at the chart, there's heaven, there's only heaven. That's the true reality. Anything not in that true reality is totally made up. It doesn't seem made up, obviously, when it looks like I'm talking to people on a screen and people are listening, etc. However, <laughs> the tiny man idea of separation did not creep into eternity. That's certainly the, the position the school takes, and it's certainly uh, the position I think that Ken Wapnick took with the course. And, and if it were possible for a tiny man idea to creep into eternity, non-duality even, even as a concept, would be shot. Non-duality does not include the tiny mad idea of separation. <laughs> you got to kind of step outside of non-duality to have a dualistic thought of separation. It didn't creep into the eternity. From our point of view, it seemed like it crept into eternity. And we would like to believe it crept into eternity, so we would actually believe we're actually sitting here discussing this stuff. However, if you turn to P chapter 27, where he actually mentions it, and I, I, I never realized this till rereading it <laughs> to see where, where what, what the context was, where he was framing this. I'm on page 586 in chapter 27. This is a uh, halfway through section eight, the hero of the dream. It's paragraph six on page 586 last paragraph on the bottom of the page. And this is where he says, paragraph six, line two, into eternity, where all is one, there crept a tiny mad idea at which the son of God remembered not to laugh. And if I remember <laughs> to laugh, and if I remember, I want to really look at that from a grievance point of view, but not right this second, because I really want to focus on this idea that this tiny mad idea did not creep into eternity. That's why it's on the chart where it is. There's no place in heaven for a tiny mad idea. So into eternity, from our point of view, 
there's he doesn't always put seem to in there, but whenever he's talking about the ego and illusions and dreams and tiny med ideas, you can always put seem to in there. There seemed to creep a tiny med idea at which the Son of God remembered not to laugh. He doesn't always put seem to in there because he's looking at it from our point of view where it doesn't look like a seem to at all. It just seems like this is the reality, if you will. In his forgetting, did the thought become a serious idea, this idea that we could actually separate, and possible of both accomplishment and then real effects? The world is the real effects. Believing we're bodies sitting in a world, discussing the course of miracles are the real effects. It's quote unquote real. He doesn't mean real literally. He doesn't mean the tiny mad idea literally crept into, into heaven. And then he says, kind of to explain it, because this is what he does a lot. <laughs> and Ken does it too. He'll talk about dreams like almost like they're reality. And then halfway through the discussion, he'll go, it seems to. We pretend to believe in this. There's different ways that I'll put it. One of the ways is right here in line four. Together, we can laugh them both away and understand that there's no way time could intrude upon eternity. Don't stay with that first sentence, because <laughs> then, then he modifies it and says, there's no way this tiny mad idea could intrude upon eternity. There is no way it could have crept into heaven. It, it, and I think it's really important to, to like clarify that even if we don't believe it, and certainly on a good ego day, it's impossible to believe that all this isn't real. However, if we don't hold on to the metaphysics of non-duality and we actually believe there could be a drop of an illusion in heaven, it's going to mess us up. <laughs> it's going to be hard even to talk about this stuff, much less to eventually experience it. So uh, I'm only throwing that out there because it seems kind of subtle if you're not <laughs> if you're not real familiar with the way he's phrasing this stuff and you don't care anyway, <laughs> that's fine. Don't worry about it now. <laughs> it might creep you out somewhere down the road. <laughs> and tiny mad ideas are always creeping into our awareness, but that's this awareness. That's not our true identity in heaven. Today, we can laugh them both away and understand that there's no way that time could even intrude upon eternity. It's a joke to think that. <laughs> Even from our point of view, believing we stepped outside of heaven, if we look at it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, we'll laugh at it. It's a joke. It's silly. It's impossible. But <laughs> when did the first grievance start? Think about all the times you've been in a fight, and there was a part of you that goes, <laughs> you know, like you're arguing with somebody and you know you're right. Of course, we're right. <laughs> Why would we argue if we didn't think we were right? And you think you're right, and you think this is really serious. And there's a part of you that for a second steps back and goes, probably all this is pretty silly. But then we, you know, uh, you know, the ego reaction is, no, <laughs> no, it's not silly. This is serious. I got to, like, maintain my, my position. I got to defend who I think I am. I don't want to be betrayed again, and on and on and on. And all the excuses kick in. It's a joke to think that that fight is serious. <laughs> that's what a grievance is, when we forget to smile at anything that's pushing our buttons, even taking the tiny mad idea seriously or not. 
if that's driving as crazy, it's a, it's a joke. It's silly. Why would that drive as crazy? What difference does it make if it's not true? Every grievance is based on looking at something, taking it seriously and not smiling. That doesn't mean we're mean to people. That doesn't mean we recognize their pain. We does, that doesn't mean we, we don't recognize they're in pain, that terrible things happen. But if we hold Jesus's hand, we'll know it's silly. And we won't say that out loud, but in our hearts, we'll feel it, we'll convey it. It's silly to believe a tiny mad idea could creep into eternity. It's a joke to think that time could come to circumvent eternity, which would mean there's no time. Everything below this top line is made up, including especially this, because this is where not where we went crazy. We went crazy when we took this seriously. We didn't smile at it. So and I've always struggled, once again, with that phrase, remember not to laugh, which means at one point we did remember to laugh. You can't remember something unless you had an experience before. So when we looked at this tiny mad idea, you know, our very first, <laughs> our very first impulse was, this is pretty darn silly. <laughs> this is pretty impossible. And then we got over here playing around with what would it look like to take it seriously. And then we remembered not to laugh because we had remembered here to laugh. In every grievance we have, we forget it, this is silly. We don't remember to laugh at the grievance. And all the review lessons, you know, especially these lately are all about grievances. Every grievance we're in, we forget to laugh. Not out loud, not meanly, but just in, internally inside ourselves, reminding us how silly this is. Defending a position that, that's just, just insane. <laughs> it's just insane. This separated self is not who we are. I don't have to defend it. I don't have to fight about it. With the old Territon commercial, depending on how old you are, the cigarette commercial, I'd rather fight than switch. That's what the ego says, <laughs> or that's what the decision maker says. I'd rather stay with the ego than switch to the Holy Spirit. I'd rather fight than switch. I'd rather hold a grievance than switch. And then just to kind of reiterate the whole idea, <laughs> if you go to chapter 23, let's see, I lost my place. It's chapter 23. It's right at the end of that terrible section on laws of chaos. Um, on page 493. 493 in the text. This is chapter 23, section two, the laws of chaos. So in, in, the, in the review lesson day, he talks about the laws of God, the laws of giving equals receiving, the laws of forgiveness. Those are the kind of nice laws he's talking about compared to these laws of chaos. In quotes, the ego seems to have its own set of laws. But after he gets done discussing what the ego's laws are, in paragraph 19, he flat out says, period, there is no life outside of heaven. If there was, a, if there even could be the possibility of, of a tiny mad idea of separation, it had to happen outside of heaven. There is no life outside of heaven. There aren't any real ideas outside of heaven. Everything from here down is made up. 
There is no life outside of heaven. Where God created capital L life, there capital L life is. It will always be, and it, it's non-dualistic. It won't entertain any craziness. It just can't. Why would it? Why would we even want it to? As, as a, you know, a recovering drug addict, you wanted the best drugs. <laughs> well, if, if you want to heaven, you want a place where there's no not, you know, there's no duality at all going on. You want the best experience possible. What is <laughs> certainly true in this case. Would you want a dualistic experience in heaven? Would you even want a tiny mad drop of craziness to enter into eternity? Well, no, not, <laughs> not if you put it that way. Of course I wouldn't, it'd be nuts. Why wouldn't I want a totally whole wholeness, holiness? Holiness is wholeness, wholeness is holiness. That's the non-duality, that's our true experience in heaven. We don't have to worry about what that is. <laughs> we just have to worry about all this, all these arguments, that, all these grievances we put up to keep us from having that experience again to make us believe we don't ha can't have that experience of wholeness and holiness again. So, yeah. Any questions, thoughts, arguments? Fight with me, fight with Jesus. Marissa, go ahead. <laughs> and then Susan. Yeah, what comes to mind is Ken Wapnick's oft-repeated phrase, what body, what conflict, which leads us right back to what, what is very difficult for us to accept. There is no light, life outside of heaven. And boy, do we <laughs> fight against that reality. And, and sometimes overlook it when we're reading it in the course. It, it, and it, it doesn't look like it doesn't feel like <laughs> until you step back and look at what we're doing. It doesn't feel like, I think, that we're fighting against reality. It just looks like I have a grievance and I'm totally justified. Well, that's part of the, the, the that's part of the, uh, the uh, conceit and the deceit of the ego is not to look at what really is, is going on. Yeah. Thanks, Marissa. Go ahead, Susie. Yeah, I think I'm gonna fight with you, Tim. Oh, <laughs> oh good. No, 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 I, you know, I'm, I, I have to admit being a little frustrated right now because certainly the principles stated are true. There's, there's only God, there's no duality. There cannot be any tiny mad idea. But then I get to the point, well, then what the heck am I doing here? Whose idea was this? Is this even an idea? What is this? And what am I doing here? And I'm, I'm just like, tumbling around in this and I don't know, you know, I, I do better when I can identify the problem and work on it, but I, I don't even know now know what the problem is. Yeah. Thanks. And that's a great lead in. I'll give you your 20 bucks later, Susie, for setting all this up. It's a great lead into where I want to go next. Okay. <laughs> like WTF what's really going on here <laughs> on a good ego day. It's all that. <laughs> so like, and, and part of the way that Jesus describes what heaven is, is he tells us what it's not. It's the whole not know thing. But if you're familiar with that, I thought. But one of the ways he describes what heaven is, is he, 
you can't really describe an experience of oneness in that experience there aren't any words there's non-duality doesn't include anything we think of period so he's got to tell us what it isn't not to make us be miserable because we can't have it <laughs> but just to point out at at his best at the the that the forgiveness can actually get us to a place where those kind of thoughts about them you know those kind of what the hell's going on thoughts why am i here thoughts they won't bother us anymore there won't be an issue he actually says that'll happen and i'll point that out <laughs> so it's a good lead into all that stuff so there's three ways jesus answers what the hell how could this even happen how could the son of god actually even have an idea that he could step outside of heaven in the first place and then run with it it just seems so impossible the simple answer to that is you're right it is impossible and it didn't happen <laughs> now that just drives us crazy <laughs> even on a good holy spirit day if you dwell on that that'll drive you nuts however the way jesus doesn't answer that question how did the impossible happen he doesn't answer it in three different ways you ready <laughs> so the first way and this is what bill thetford said he said he's sitting around I guess you know he's talking to Jesus through Helen and he and he tells Helen to ask Jesus you know how did how could we have ever chose to leave heaven that was just kind of a dumb idea and Jesus said one way Jesus answers that question is he said why are you asking that about something in the past when you're doing it right now well that's a slap in the face I I don't know why I did it in the past but you're now you're telling me I did it right now I'm doing it right now if we're not experiencing heaven right now he's saying all this is going on right now it didn't happen in the past in fact this wouldn't even be bothering you if you realize that so that's one way he doesn't answer it's insulting <laughs> you know he's trying to be a little bit nice about it the next insulting way he doesn't answer it he does not answer how did the separation happen is um he says you're really a two-year-old brat I'm paraphrasing but he actually says you're having a temper tantrum you're insisting you're separate and now you're asking him Jesus to tell you how you became separate and you're throwing a tantrum doing it it's not a real question he says that's a pretty good question if you ask it in all honesty and you're not insisting you're really here he says that in uh early on I'll show you the nice way he answers it this is early on at page 56 in the text page 56 in the text chapter 4 section 2 um paragraph 1 this is what Susie was asking it's reasonable <laughs> of course it is we all ask it in different ways it's reasonable to ask how the mind could ever have made the ego how we could have ever made up something separation and believed in it in fact he says it's the best question you could ask if this is in parentheses if you were willing to hear the answer it didn't happen however since we're not really asking a question we're insisting it did now we want him to explain it to us he says it really is the best question you could ever ask if you were asking it in all honesty it's a double because we would allow then this experience of love to enter our awareness and it would be answered 
he doesn't say all that there, but he says it is a good question and it is reasonable. There is, however, no point in giving an answer in terms of the past because the past does not matter. This is what he said to Bill. And the history, the past would not exist if the same errors were not being repeated right this second in the present. Why are you asking about something that happened in the past when it, you're doing it right now? Then he says, when you're doing it right now, this, this is kind of even more insulting. <laughs> he doesn't call you outright a two-year-old, but this is kind of what's going on. And this is uh, page 376, I believe, in the text. This is in chapter 18, section two. I'm in paragraph four. And what he's saying here is everything below this line, if we're not looking at it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, it's a perceptual temper tantrum. I'm insisting I know separation is real. Now you tell me how I got here. It's not a question at all. Dreams are perceptual temper tantrums in which you literally, you're literally screaming, I want it thus. I am separate. I'm a two-year-old brat and I don't care. You tell me now how I got here. And like any loving father, you have to wait until your kids stop throwing the tantrum in order to be able even to talk to them and, and reassure him that everything's okay. Dreams are perceptual temper tantrums. Jesus is not saying don't ask questions. If you ask him, though, try to ask them holding the Holy Spirit's hand so you're willing to, willing to hear that a real answer and not insisting you know what's really going on, and you want it explained to you how you're separate. That's all he's trying to get us to do here. It's insulting. <laughs> you're a brat. You're throwing a temper tantrum when you ask questions. He's not saying don't do it. It's okay. He knows we're all brats. <laughs> he's okay with that. <laughs> and he knows we'll eventually get tired out like any, any two-year-old, and we'll stop throwing the tantrum. So... I want it thus. Okay. And, and then that, this whole section um, kind of describes that whole temper tantrum thing. And then if you go on to, let's see, I think page 575. And he's talking about the quiet answer. But we can't hear the quiet answer as long as we're throwing a temper tantrum. We have to kind of get quiet ourselves in order to hear the quiet answer that Jesus still loves us and we're still okay. And this, I believe, is in paragraph three. Attempt to solve no problems. Attempt even not to ask questions, but within the holy instant surety, being willing to hear a real answer. For there, the problem, the question will be answered and resolved once we get to that third step of forgiveness. That's the holy instance certainty. That's when we realize the question we were asking wasn't a question at all. And that's when we'll realize we'll have an actual experience of Jesus loving us right this second. And all this stuff really is all made up. They're all just seeming separate images. It's not our reality at all. That's what the third step of forgiveness brings to us. We still see the separated images, but
but we have this incredible sense of surety, of certainty, and all those crazy questions we were asking and insisting upon will just dissolve. They won't be a big deal. It's a rush. I know it's a rush. <laughs> You'll know when you're there. <laughs> and don't beat yourself up until you get there. Because, <laughs> I mean, beating ourselves up doesn't really help. Just always turn to Jesus, go back to the forgiveness steps and work on those. Who am I holding a grievance against? Who am I pointing the finger at? Who, I'm, who am I telling this is serious and it's not silly at all? And you need to listen up. It goes on paragraph three. For there, line two, for there in that holy instant, in that third step of forgiveness, the question, the problem will be answered and resolved. We'll hear him say it didn't happen and we'll be okay with that. Of course it didn't happen. He's right here right now and he's loving us right now. When we're in that experience, it's like, yeah, what can go wrong? <laughs> Jesus is here and he's loving me. What could possibly, even intellectually, that sounds pretty good, <laughs> even if I'm not feeling it right now. Outside, there will be no solution. Outside, you know, outside in terms of insisting we're upset for the reason we think and we know we're separate and we know there's something going on and we know there's a problem. Outside, there will be no solution. For there is no answer there that could even be found. It's not addressing the real issue. Taking this seriously was the quote-unquote real issue. The tiny mad idea, seriously. Nowhere outside, meaning outside of this, this experience of looking at this and taking and holding Jesus's hand and realizing the whole thing's silly and he still loves us. It's not just that it's silly, but this incredible experience of him loving us. You can't beat it. <laughs> I mean, it's a good deal here. <laughs> All the doubt goes away, the uncertainty goes away. And, and to get there, he's, he's spelled out how to get there. So anyway, nowhere outside a single simple question is really ever asked. Ever asked. Once again, he's not telling us not to ask questions. The world can only have a double question. One with many answers can have no answers. None of them will do. It doesn't ask a question to really be answered, but only to restate its point of view. I'm separate. You tell me how I got here. I know what the real problem is. If you would only fix that person, everything would be fine. Politically, personally. <laughs> We know what the problem is. Paragraph five. I'm on page 575 in the text. A pseudo question, a pretend question, a question where I'm saying, I know what I want. I want separation. And I want you to explain it to me. A pseudo question has no answer. It dictates the answer even as it is asked. Thus is all questioning within the world of form propaganda for itself. He even got political with it. <laughs> this is ego's propaganda, pretending we're asking a question, pretending we want to know the answer, and not realizing we're insisting that we're separate, we know what the problem is, and we're going to tell Jesus what the problem is, and we're going to tell him how to fix it, too. Every prayer in form is a prayer simply telling Jesus how to fix something, what we think the problem is. So all those are really, really insulting. 
So, I mean, you know, telling, telling us we're two-year-olds, telling us why you worried about what happened in the past when you're doing it right now, those aren't really reassuring. That, but, but he's really pushing our buttons <laughs> just so that maybe we'd be willing to try what he's offering this process of forgiveness so we don't have to be throwing a tantrum. We don't have to be preoccupied with the past. We don't have to feel uncertain. We don't have to be in, uh, asking questions that aren't really questions. Now, the nice way, the third way that Jesus doesn't answer, how could the separation ever happen? This is the nicest one. This is and he, he took all the way till the end of the almost the end of the manual to say it. <laughs> I think he would have been nice if he just would have said this in the introduction. There's hope. There's hope. And that's what this says. I'm on page 77 in the manual. This is actually the introduction to the clarification of terms. In the back of the book, page 77, I'm on paragraph four. He says, the ego, page 77 in the manual, paragraph four, the ego will demand many answers to all these questions it's got. How did the impossible ever happen? That this course does not give. He's still not going to answer it. <laughs> He tells you he's not going to answer it. However, he says something very, very sweet and very nice. He says, this course does not recognize as questions the mere form of a question to which an answer is impossible. It'd be like a two-year-old kid insisting he's a dog when he's not a dog. That's what we do when we insist we're separated, we're an ego. We insist we're, I'm picking on dogs again. Jesus does, I can too. We're insisting we're a dog when we're not a dog. We're a loving son of God. But if we're throwing a tantrum, insisting, and then we ask Jesus, how did I become a dog? He has to wait until we stop insisting on it and be open to hear something else. It does not recognize his questions, the mere form of a question to which an answer is impossible. The ego may ask, how did the impossible occur? And to what did the impossible even happen? Uh, how did all these seemingly split things happen? A Holy Spirit and an ego, <laughs> a decision maker. All that stuff's made up. So what did this impossible situation even happen? And we ask this in all kinds of not so subtle ways. Once you begin to realize, we begin to realize how often we ask this. We try to switch it up. Watching Ken for years deal with, with students who would come and they try to do these subtle twists <laughs> on, on, on how did the impossible ever happen. It was great. <laughs> he taught us well. It comes up in every seminar almost, on every recording. How did the impossible ever happen? <laughs> we learned to ask it in many forms. Yet, yet, this is the good news. There is no answer. It didn't happen. However, there is an experience where we won't have to ask anymore. Seek not the answers, seek that experience of, of getting here, of moving through all grievances against others, moving through the grievances against God and against ourselves, letting all that go. And then finally, when we let Jesus love us in this moment, that's the experience. That's when we'll feel the certainty. That's when, you know, we, we could play with it, but we'll smile at it. How did the impossible ever happen? It didn't happen. 
no matter all these images that we see, all these feelings we think we have, there'll be this moment of unbelievable peace and feeling loved and feeling loving, and it won't matter. It'll just fall away. Yeah. So, so stay at it. It's worth it. <laughs> if you've had the experience, you know, and that's why we keep coming back. If you haven't had it yet, you, this is what you want. <laughs> and you can have it right now. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait till five years into the course. You just start with the people you're pissed off with right now. <laughs> They're the doorway back. Any grievance says, this is serious. This is not silly. There's something really serious going on here. Okay, any thoughts? You okay with all that, Susie? Yeah, big help. Thank you. All right. Anybody else? Ideas, thoughts, questions, anything? Uh, go ahead, Jane. What really helped me was, and I think it's in the very beginning of the journey through the text. Don't know for sure, can't remember, but... Ken very specifically addresses this too about questions. And what, what really helped me is just to remember that in the very beginning when you're in the course, you don't think back to the metaphysical that much. Yet we have to always keep that in mind that it never happened. And I know when I was in the very beginning of the course, I didn't, I did, certainly didn't understand that. I forgot to say to myself when I finally learned it was, if I think that it really happened, it's just my continuing belief in separation. That's basically all that it is. But the other thing I thought said to myself was, oh, darn, there goes that ego again with the question. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> so that helped me just to remember that. And it's harsh at first. It is because we're so curious with our ego mind that it's going to take a while to really stop those questions from coming in and no problem just don't judge them don't judge them thank you thanks jane yeah i was i was thinking as you were saying that you know i got all these pictures of jesus around the place and uh and uh whenever i'm in ego mode my my question becomes well i look at him and i say well why'd you let this happen <laughs> Like it actually happened. Now you tell me why you, 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 Jesus allowed this terrible thing to happen. Cause look at me, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm trying to do this, these meetings, <laughs> run a website. <laughs> why are you throwing this stuff at me? <laughs> he's not, he's not, he's not throwing anything at us. He's just helping us walk through all the stuff we have already set up <laughs> to drive ourselves crazy. And he'll point at it and go, and he'll help us smile at it if we're willing to hold his hand. Go ahead, Susie. Thanks, Jane. Well, I guess this kind of got stirred up in me because the other day I got politely accused of uh, being indoctrinated by A Course in Miracles like it was some kind of cult or anything, something, you know? So I'm trying to deal with this with good answers, you know, but, you know, I, I realize now I really, I really don't even have to answer 
these accusations or whatever, because they aren't going to make sense. I, I get it now of this question that I had at the start of this. Like, what's why did all this happen? <laughs> now I get it. Oh, nothing happened. Oh, yeah. Like, like Jane just said, I keep forgetting the metaphysical side. And of course, nothing happened. Why would I lose my peace over something that didn't happen? So I'm getting grounded in that. Thank you. But it's, it's like I'm at the point now. It's like I, I am afraid. Uh, well, not really afraid, but I think best to just keep my mouth quiet about this course because uh, it seems to generate attack in the circles I'm in. So, yeah, thanks. <laughs> we learned pretty early on to keep our mouths shut about this stuff. <laughs> we know it sounds whack to us. We know it's gonna sound whack to somebody else. <laughs> Just reassure them that you love them and they're okay and you're okay and whatever's going on, we'll get through it. <laughs> That's what Jesus always says anyway. Yeah. Oh, what is the other thing? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> It'll come back. Um, let's actually do a meditation now that I've set this whole thing up. <laughs> or Jesus set it all up. About grievances. Today's lesson. Uh, lesson, I think it's... Whew. I thought I had all my pages marked. Lesson 89. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, excuse me, Tim, can I can I say something? Yes, sure. Yeah. Hi, everyone. So um, because we are learning or, or um, we are assigned to read and, and hear some Ken's um, lecture, I don't know how to say it. But I was listening today for immersion, um, and he said many times our only function here is to recognize that we made a mistake. And I have been fighting that idea so much in my mind during the whole day because that it wouldn't know that. What do you mean by this is my only function to, to realize that I made a mistake? This is wrong. I mean, there's so many beautiful functions that I could do. And, and now I finally understand what what does it mean and makes so much sense now. So thank you for that whole explanation. So yeah, and of course he's not talking about mistakes in form. I mean he's he's talking about the mistake we always make is we take any of our grievances seriously. Yeah. And it's just a mistake. It, it's not that the grievances weren't real. Me taking them seriously weren't real. I don't have to beat you up. I don't have to beat me up. Yeah, the mistake is is uh, to acknowledge or to think that we are separated. So that was uh, the mistake. But for me, well, um, I think that I don't understand the, the beginning. I mean, when we decide to make this mistake and I, because I don't understand it and I don't remember and I don't want to remember maybe, um, I'm just letting that go and focus on, okay, um, my function here is just to choose the Holy Spirit and, and try to see everything thing and everyone as 
one. And sometimes I have, I have been there and it's a beautiful emotion. It's very short, but it's beautiful anyway. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Javier. So if you can go there right away, if you can tell yourself the met, this is the metaphysics, it's a mistake, uh, and then suddenly you're in bliss, that's great. However, 99% of the time, that's not been my experience. I mean, intellectually, I know this is a mistake, but it doesn't help. I don't think it's a mistake. I think I'm still taking it seriously. I still want to explain to the other person why this is serious, and it's not just a mistake. I might say it out loud, I might keep it to myself, but I'll certainly still believe it's very serious, which means it's not simply a mistake. So the way to get to this experience is once again, if it works for you to say, and, and you're, you're, you know, you're like at the edge of this, and all you got to do is remind yourself it's a mistake, and suddenly you feel Jesus's presence and love, that's great. However, if that doesn't happen, then you just go back to the first step of forgiveness. You pick the person living right next door to you that you might be having an issue with and who might have insulted you or, or, or threw their dog poop over the fence or whatever they did to hurt your feelings, seemingly, and you start with them. That's why our brother, our immediate brother, is always the way back to eventually get to this place. We start with whoever it is we're upset with family member, non-family member, co-worker, boss, somebody in traffic. And for ego mode, we don't have to go very far. When we're in ego mode, meaning I don't think this is a mistake, I think this is very serious, I will find somebody to blame or I'll make it up in my head. But you don't have to go far to find somebody to blame. They're all, they're like everywhere. <laughs> Just go out into the hallway or whatever. <laughs> So the way to get there is, once again, is through the process of forgiveness, which means I start with whatever specific grievance I've, I have, and I name names, which is what Jesus does, again, in Lesson 89. I'm on page 154 in the workbook. This is the beginning of the way back. We admit we're kind of ticked off at somebody. We admit to ourselves we are holding, we're not taking something silly. We think it's very serious, and but we're willing to say, paragraph two, italics line three, let me not hold a grievance against you and name a name. Name that specific. We don't just jump to everybody's one in love and this is all just silly. Because it's the grievances that are keeping us trapped in believing it's not silly. A grievance simply insists in this moment, this is not silly, and I know who, you're the problem. I, I can name your name. I am holding a grievance against you. Name a name. I, I don't think this is silly at all. This is serious because look what you just did. That's what a grievance is saying. I don't say this out loud to people, but I say to them, let me not in my mind's eye Jesus, please help me not to hold a grievance against this person I'm, I'm thinking of right this second. Look him in the eye in your mind and say it. But offer you the miracle that belongs to you instead. It's not just I'm entitled to miracles, so are you. <laughs> the miracle is I can share with you a lack of grievances 
instead of holding this secret vow to hold grievances against each other. At one point, he's talking about the secret promise we made to each other in one of the later chapters to hold grievances. Because we knew grievances were going to keep us stuck in believing all this crazy stuff. So we make the secret vow to do it. And then we pretend we didn't make the secret vow. It's secret to us. We forgot we did it on purpose. So go back to the grievance. It's what's keeping us stuck here. <laughs> we start letting go of these grievances. We start moving back to what the real issue is. And eventually, this grievance we've got against ourselves and against Jesus for not letting me be a separate self, I'll let that grievance go too. I'll realize that was a mistake. I'll realize taking this tiny mid idea of separation seriously was simply that. It was just a mistake. I don't have to tell myself that. In fact, I think it's probably impossible to do it. I have to ask Jesus for help to see the grievance I'm holding against you, the reason for me feeling bad isn't what I think it is. Holding it against you is just silly. I don't think it's silly. As long as I don't think it's silly, I really need his help to see beyond this. Then when I get back to this dark night of the soul, I really need his help to see I didn't throw him out the window. I didn't push him away. The big, the big serious mistake was I pushed Jesus away from me. No, I didn't. He didn't go anywhere. But I really need his help. I really need to invite his presence into my awareness to realize that this mistake is just that. It's just a mistake. I'm not eternally damned. I don't have to hate myself anymore. So I'm entitled to miracles. You're entitled to miracles. We're all entitled to miracles. Lisa, you want to read that paragraph one and two? And I'll breathe for a little bit. <laughs> sure. <clears throat> I am entitled to miracles. I am entitled to miracles because I am under no laws but God's. His laws release me from all grievances and replace them with miracles. And I would accept the miracles in place of the grievances, which are but illusions that hide the miracles beyond. Now I would accept only what the laws of God entitle me to have, that I may use it on behalf of the function he has given me. You might use these suggestions for specific applications of this idea. Behind this is a miracle to which I am entitled. Let me not hold a grievance against you, name, but, you, but offer you the miracle that belongs to you instead. Seen truly, this offers me a miracle. Thanks. Thanks, Lisa. We'll get quiet for a little bit.
and gently, gently come back. So, one of the things that I found helpful over the years is um, to remind myself the way Jesus doesn't answer that question, how did the impossible happen? And see if I can remember all three. You know, one answer being, why are you asking about something in the past that's happening right now? The other non-answer really not an answer you're just throwing out a temper tantrum you're not really asking a real question you're insisting on separation you're asking for an explanation of how it happened and then finally the nice one is you can and you will if you hold my hand as we walk through your grievances you will let them go and you will have an experience where that question won't drive you crazy anymore no question will drive you crazy so when I can't remember one of those, that's probably the one I need to work on. That's what I'm trying to point out. I try to, usually it's two out of three I can remember, but there's always that third one that's really slippery. And whatever that issue is, I'm probably, I'm really doing all three, but <laughs> that's the one I need to focus on a little bit. <laughs> usually, you know, especially if it's something that somebody did, I'm whining about something that happened in the past and I'm whining about it right now. <laughs> Why am I whining about it right now? Because I think it's happening right now because I'm doing the same thing, whatever I'm accusing them of. I feel like they betrayed me in the past and now I'm betraying them. I'm saying, you're not a son of God. Look what you did. That's the way we betray people. That's the way we betray ourselves right now, right in the second is I'm insisting you're not the son of God and I'm not either. That's how we're doing it right now. So take any one of those, play around with it, <laughs> see which one you forget. <laughs> Finding them in the course too. <laughs> I had to write this down like 50 times. That's slippery too. Finding where he even mentions this stuff is tough. <laughs> but there's some really succinct places, I think, that some of them that we went through, other places too, where he points out these three different ways how he does not answer that question. There might be more, but those are the three. And Ken always talked about, and many versions of those three. Yeah. So thanks for helping me walk through all that, <laughs> for letting me walk through all that, <laughs> for helping me to remind me <laughs> what they are. <laughs> yeah, thanks. All right, let's actually, I've gone all in. I swear I'm going to get in this. <laughs> Principle 29. In my book, it's on page 73. Oh, this sounds really fundamentalist. Fundamentalist. Miracles praise God for you. <laughs> Miracles praise God. It's kind of a nice title. Betsy, you want to read that? That particular principle 29 up to the first question, please. Sure. Miracles praise God through you. They praise him by honoring his creations, affirming their perfection. They heal because they deny body identification and affirm spirit identification. One of the Judeo-Christian ideas is that we should praise God. 
certainly a lot of the Psalms have that aspect to them. Clearly, though, God does not need us to praise him. He does not have an ego that would require people to praise him. The way in which a miracle praises God is simply by reflecting his being and his all-inclusive love, not by words or actions. One way special love is distinguished from real love is that special love is always an exclusive phenomenon. It always excludes certain people. The love of God is all-inclusive. He makes no exceptions. As the Bible says, God has no favorites. Miracles praise this love of God by uniting all people in our mind. They praise him by honoring his creations, affirming their perfection. The miracle is a shift from seeing someone as imperfect, whether we see that person as an imperfect body because he or she is physically sick, or we see that person as imperfect because we have judged him or her as being sinful. We then shift from that perception to the Holy Spirit's perception, which looks beyond the error to the truth, looks beyond the darkness of the ego to the light of Christ that shines in that person. They heal because they deny body identification and affirm spirit identification. This idea is the same as expressed in principle 17. They heal because they move away from identifying with the body, which is not the problem, by identifying with the spirit. It is the spirit that is the source of the answer. And by identifying with who we really are, we are recognizing that everything else is merely a defense against this truth. Well, that was a mouthful. You got any thoughts or questions about any of that? <laughs> oh, well, it's funny because a lot of these things have come up for me this week. Um, and I have been polishing my grievances this week <laughs> and really working on my judgments. And so this is good to hear. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Polishing my grievance. Oh, you know who's going to love that one? Bruce Rawls. Polishing my grievances. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> Very good. Thanks. Thanks, Betsy. Um, principle 17 basically is talking about level confusion. In my book, it's back on page 56. Miracles transcend the body. There are sudden shifts into the invisibility, spirit identification away from the bodily level, that is why they heal. Yeah, basically everything you said in the bold and principle 29, same kind of thing. We're moving, insisting the problem is here and moving it back to this inner place um, called the mind. And in the sense, this is the part of, of our spirit identification he's talking about moving the problem not just here back to the mind, but certainly eventually moving into this experience of letting my, all my grievances go against you and me. A couple of the big themes in this are a perfection, holiness comes up a lot in the next uh, few principles. Perfections, holiness, and wholeness. 
W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. All that's happening in heaven. Our true perfection, our true capital S spirit, our, our true wholeness, our true holiness. That's This level is the ultimate. <laughs> but to have an experience of a reflection of that or an awareness of no matter what I'm seeing image-wise, image I'll have a sense that I'm still loved, that everything is still okay, that that perfection is still intact, even though I'm not seeing it right now with all these images. I'm not seeing wholeness right now with all these seeming separated images. In the second paragraph that Betsy was reading, he talks about special love, um, special relationships in the course. Uh, it's not a good kind of special. It's like, uh, uh, what's his name? Dana Garvey, the church lady, when he talks about, you know, the, the devil, <laughs> he always says, when the devil tells somebody to do something, he says, is that special? Is that from the devil? <laughs> and so that's kind of like what Jesus is saying with special. Special for Jesus is not a good thing. <laughs> it's isolating a, a person and making them either the good guy or the bad guy and not realizing they're the son of God and that everybody's the son of God. So when he talks about in the second paragraph, one way special love is distinguished from real love, Special special relationships, um, special love relationships, special hate relationships, I think is one of the really brilliant new understanding of relationships and our experience in the world that the Course really brought, I think, into our awareness. And when you get to chapters 15, 16, and 17, it's just like, it's like, it's like, you think you're polishing your grievances now. Wait till you get together. <laughs> I mean, suddenly <laughs> they seem more serious than they ever were. <laughs> they were always serious, but they just seem more serious. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little challenging, only because we set it up that way. Once again, Jesus is not doing this to us. It's, it, it's what we've already set up, and we'll eventually walk through it, holding his hand, and everything will be fine. So... Yeah, and yeah, it, and we'll do a whole seminar in April on special relationships, and I'll send out a flyer for that. Everybody's invited if you want to come. It's part of the immersion, but we invite everybody to come and join in <laughs> in the misery of looking at their special relationships. Sally, you got something? Well, you mentioned Dana Carvey, and I just want to give a plug for his Netflix special, if you haven't seen it. It is, it is delightful, uh, and he, he, uh, he does a little bit on the church lady uh, talking to Bill Gates, uh, and it's, it's really good. And I think it's called, it's a 60-year-old white male, uh, something is the name of his Netflix special, but you'll, um, you'll enjoy it. It's, and did Bill Gates show up? He's sitting right next to Bill Gates. <laughs> well, aren't you special, you know? And uh, <laughs> Well, that's good. It's, it's hilarious. So you got to see it. All right. Very good. Thanks. Thanks, Ellie. Very good. Anybody else on principle on that part of principle 29? All right. The Q&A. Maya, you want to read, please? Maya, you're so awake this evening. You're like alert and smiley. The sun's shining. <laughs> Uh, ah, shining okay. in my in my place it's been raining here a lot and uh it's very bright right. very bright 
Okay, sure. Thanks, Tim. Can you do that and not recognize where they are mentally or physically? Uh, what is the that? Let's see. That's a good question. Let's find I out. Would what imagine, look at level confusion and let it go. Can you look at level confusion and let it go? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. And not recognize where they are mentally or physically. In other words, denying what you are seeing and wanting to see the perfection of the person. Answer. There is a way of looking that the course sets forth, which is like a double vision. You do not deny what your eyes see. You do not deny someone who is in physical pain or someone who has some need or whatever. But at the time, you are also realizing that what you are seeing is a call for help. That is what A Course in Miracles calls the judgment of the Holy Spirit. That the sickness and the pain or the anger and the attack, whatever it is the person has done is really a call for help and an expression of that person's identification with his or her ego. You want to challenge that too, or you want me to do it? Or? <laughs> well, I no, I don't, certainly don't want to challenge it. I think that when we are able to do that, uh, we, we're also kind of doing it for ourselves at the same time. If you if you see that as a call for help, genuinely, not a not the kind of a condescending uh, pejorative saying, "Oh, he the idiot is just calling for help," you know, where it's really an attack disguised as as uh, understanding, but not that kind. But rather, when you genuinely really feel that sense, a heartfelt sense that someone is in pain and you're not experiencing attack, then it's really freeing because then you don't need to feel the attack. You don't have to feel your ego is not operative. You know, it's just relaxing, relaxing the ego and just being able to um, feel into that at, and feel it as true for yourself as well. Thanks, Maya. That was a really nice way of saying what I probably wouldn't have said as nicely. <laughs> I remember, I remember when I first came to. Uh, it wasn't that long ago, you know, eight years or so ago when I first came to Denver. I remember hearing Lynn say, "I mean, it, it, it kind of shocks me that I've never, I'd never admitted this before." But she was really adamant that if I hear a call for love, it's always my call for love. And I went, you know, I did that like what. <laughs> It's like, yeah, the other person might be calling for love, but if I was seeing them as the son of God right now, it wouldn't matter what they were doing. It's not their call for love. It's my call for love. I'm asking me to wake me up to they're still the son of God, whatever they're doing or not doing. In fact, if I'm in ego mode, I'm going to see everything they're doing as the pejorative, not very nice, pat them on the head, bad dog, bad dog. You know, you're the, you're the ones calling for love. No, it's always my call for love. At best, it's our call for love. We're just asking to help us wake up to we're still the son of God. 
thoughts about that, Maya? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, when we take that second step and we're really joining, we're joining with the other person, then that's where the healing can happen. We're seeing ourselves as the same. Instead of seeing the other person as other, we're seeing that we are the same. And that's the real healing. Yeah. Yep. It's we're all entitled to miracles. It's our call for miracles. <laughs> we're all entitled to let go of our grievances. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Maya. Go ahead, Jane. I love what Maya said too. And you, how I always took that was where it says, and there's a place in the course very specifically where it says what that there's only two responses to a call for love or there's only two things anybody's doing. They're calling for love or they're expressing it. I always took it as it's my call. The only way I can answer is giving my love to them. And I always talk, I took it that way. So I took it a, a little bit differently, but because I remember Lynn saying that too. And certainly she was not wrong. Absolutely not wrong. But Jesus is the only answer we have or the holy answer is returning love is giving love that's all nothing else to a call for love or even if somebody's expressing love the only answer is that we express it back and that's a good Thank way you. i like that yeah they're calling <laughs> to me to affirm that they're still the son of god <laughs> and i am too exactly. they're calling to my awareness of love that's good that's real good <laughs> yeah thanks jane salam please you know, this is, I mean, I, I had like a, a profound shift with a, a coworker of mine uh, several years ago, and it reminds me of what we're reading. It, we, we had such an adversarial relationship, so contentious and for so long. And then one day, and I know this is not, wasn't of the ego, because one day I see him across from me and he just did not like me. Um, and so I see him from me, I'm like, why doesn't he like me? It must be somebody who looks like me, who acts like me, who talks like me. You know, other, in other words, I really saw that this was his projection. And I had just had such profound love for him. Like, what happened to you? <laughs> you know, What happened to you that you would treat me like that? It must be something must have happened to you. It must be your projection. And I just had such profound love and it just brings tears to my eyes too. And it, it's because also that I recognize I've been like him, you know? Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I like trying to find like practical things to what we're talking about. Yeah. So this, this was a good one for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a great awareness to keep in mind. If I don't have that awareness right now, I can move towards that experience of realizing none of this is about me. And if he's treating me, this, this image he has of me that way, man, what's he doing to himself? I mean, there's a lot of pain going on there. <laughs> he's got to take all that self-hatred. He's got to put it on you. And he's got to make up a you to put it on. And once again, what a great call for love. Like, like, please help me wake up and realize that you and I are both love. Yeah. Yeah. Projection's a lot of work. <laughs> and then if I think he is actually attacking me, then I'm projecting my crap on him and da 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 da. da. And it just goes on and on and on. 
Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Alam. Very good. All right. Uh, next Q&A in a specific instant. Daniela, you want to read, please? Sorry, guys. I'm not... Am I, is there an echo here? Kind of. I'm at work and I don't have my book. Okay, that's fine. We'll just listen on. Thanks. It Dan. looks like there's two of you, Daniela. There's two um, rectangles assigned to you. And I think you're getting feedback because of having two. Is that possible? Two microphones. Yeah, it's. My phone doesn't have any volume. The computer does. So I'm using the computer oh, yeah, so volume. Oh, yes. Volume for image. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. That's what's going on. All right. It's uh, by location in a weird way. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Julie, you ready for specifics? I'm ready. In a specific instance, how far do I take it? You say to the Holy Spirit or to Jesus or whomever you feel you're talking to, what would you have me do? If you find yourself getting upset by the person's problem, whatever the level is, then before you ask him what you should do, you should ask his help that your perception be healed. That is what is meant by the aforementioned statement the only meaningful prayer is for forgiveness. You first ask that he help you shift from the ego's way of looking to his way of looking. And then you say, what would you have me do? What would be the most loving way for me to act at this point? And then you do it. You first try to be aware of your own interference. Again, whether someone's sickness brings out a lot of pity in you, guilt, pain, or hurt, or whether someone's behavioral characteristics bring out a lot of anger in you, that is what you pray for help with. And then say, what would be the most loving thing for me to do? What would you have me do? Whatever words you want to use are fine but you certainly do not deny what you see. This is not a course in denial. In fact, the text says in a passage I read from earlier that it is almost impossible to deny one's physical experience in this world. It is not suggesting that we do that because the next line says that this is a particularly unworthy form of denial. <laughs> I think I really like what the first part of um, the answer says. Um, it's it's what it's what we were talking about earlier tonight um, about not insisting that things are going on the way I think they are, or indeed at all, but. Um, we have to get out of our own way first so that we can truly be open to hearing what the answer is rather than like thinking up something in my mind. I think I'm asking and I'm going to do this thing because psychologically I think it would work. You know? 
Right. However good the intention may seem, I I I can relate to this because I know I've I've tried to help, but that was in my little self. That's all I have, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, I wish Ken would have stopped with uh, ask for, for the Holy Spirit's help to shift from the ego's way of looking at the other person um, from the way I'm looking at them as a victimizer, even as somebody who's projecting their crap on me or whatever it is, but my buttons are obviously being pushed, help me see them differently. And then Ken was real adamant in, in the later years of teaching then what you'll do or, or won't do will come out of that perception. So I think it's normal. And, it, and it's certainly, I always want to jump to Jesus telling me what to do. And, and I don't care about perception. <laughs> I mean, I don't quite put it that way, but it's just like, I got to deal with this right now. This person drives me crazy. Tell me what to do with them. And then it's like, no, nah, you know, it, <laughs> even if he told me what to do with it it wouldn't help because i'm still seeing them as a problem i mean the problem is my, my perception of them even if jesus told me well you go over there you lend them 20 bucks you let them go do what they need to do and you and you know stop being mean to them no jesus wouldn't say that because that wasn't the problem to begin with the problem to begin with was i wasn't seeing them the way jesus is seeing them a son of god still intact, crying out, please help me or see I'm in pain and help me to let it go. I mean, that's the problem. <laughs> and the problem isn't a problem because it's all made up, but we don't know that yet. So we really need Jesus' help to, be, to have that perception shift. And then Ken was really adamant in later years, like I said, then what you'll do or say or not do or not say It'll just come out of that place of being willing to see them differently. And you'll know, you'll know <laughs> if you, if that doesn't feel like a clean feeling and you still want to know what to do, <laughs> you still, I still need some serious help because <laughs> I'm still hanging on to something and I want to fix it. <laughs> as long as I'm asking what to do, it means I'm insisting there's a problem and I want Jesus to fix it. And that he's not going to do it because it's just not the problem. <laughs> he will help me see that person differently if I insist with myself on that. And until that feels really clean, that's where I need to stay. I'll do what I do anyway. You know, I go deal with whatever the seeming problem in form is anyway. But it'd be nice if I asked for help to see him differently before I did that. Usually I do wind up doing the same thing, but I could do it nicely. <laughs> I don't have to do it accusingly. I don't have to do it pointing the finger of death at them. <laughs> you're evil <laughs> and you're a problem. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. Go ahead, Jane. It makes me laugh at myself because this was many, many years ago. Uh, Ken was still in, in New York and I had an issue with um, a person and they were absolutely attacking me. And I, I was really trying to work the course, you know? So I thought the best way to work was to call the person who described it. So I called this, I called Kent and um, 
he didn't answer. A very nice person answered and everything. So I explained my situation. And she said to me very sweetly and very kindly, don't usurp the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was beautiful. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that sentence when I'm into my junk. Don't usurp the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's all she needed to say. I, I felt so um, complete in that answer. And we got off the phone and about three minutes later, and I didn't really need this, I don't think, but it's been so long ago, I can't remember. The person called me back and apologized for attacking. And I just, there was a part of me that knew that was such a truth. Don't usurp the power of the Holy Spirit. And for me, I knew that I was not trusting. It, it was saying, you're not trusting real well right now. <laughs> Thank you. That's good. That's good. Thanks, Jane. Yeah, very good. Oh, Marissa, go ahead. And then Maya. Yeah, with something that Julie said in her answer that um, just started me thinking about the paradox of, of getting out of the way of um, and, and letting the Holy Spirit take, take over, part of that would, is actually kind of um, looking at my raucous shrieking. <laughs> I know I love that term, right? <laughs> um, with Jesus, and that—that's the paradox. It's that is getting out of the way. You know, you're you're kind of looking at the ugly, and so that's why this course is so cool. Those paradoxes—they're just wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I was just thinking, um, I was just thinking in the history of me asking the Holy Spirit for help to see them differently. I think I've always gotten that help, even if it was just even partially. But whenever I have asked to do for something to do and how to handle it, it, it didn't even matter if I thought I had an idea of what to do it it never worked out i mean it's kind of a it's kind of a good you know it's it's kind of a, a a reinforcing track record to know that every time i did ask the holy spirit for help for a perception change it actually began to shift and every time i didn't it didn't change <laughs> even if externally it changed or not <laughs> there would be the problem would continue or, or that problem would disappear and another one would take it, its place how could it not? <laughs> How could it not? Yeah. Thanks, Marissa. Go ahead, Maya. Yeah, just uh, adding a, a little add-on to what Jane was saying about not trusting Holy Spirit. I was thinking, ah, therein lies the remembrance that we're developing trust. We we don't we we aren't born trusting, and it's a process that takes. It appears to take a long time. <laughs> But it's a it's a whole it's a whole thing of developing it because it's really letting go of of saying you better be trustworthy or I'm not going to trust you. No, it's like no, Holy Spirit's in charge, and it's that's the challenge, you know. Thanks. Yeah, I was thinking that whenever I ask inform what should I do, and I I don't start with 
asking for a perception change, even though I know that's the real problem, especially at this point. <laughs> you know, I just want to fix it. <laughs> Tell me what to do, for God's sake. <laughs> and then uh, it's like, it is it, it, it's like I have a grievance already because I've, I've refused to see that person or that situation and all the people involved in it as the son of God. And I don't even I don't even want to admit that's the real problem. I think it's something in form and I have a grievance about form. And then I want Jesus to fix the form. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to fix it. So the grievance is still there. It didn't go anywhere. I'm still not seeing you as the son of God, still not seeing me as the son of God, because I'm justified. Look what you did. <laughs> I have a grievance and I'm right about it. So and then I go and ask for help to fix the form like that's going to do anything. I mean, it, it just preposterous once you realize what's really going on. I mean, it's just how it can't work. <laughs> it was never the real issue. Yeah. Thanks, Maya. Go ahead, Jane. I forgot to say this very important thing to my brain. It's impossible to usurp the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, that's good, too. <laughs> we just smiled at the tiny man idea. That's really good. <laughs> oh, oops. That's a big oops. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> it didn't happen. You can't usurp the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, on that note, that's enough. Let's do a closing meditation. <laughs> that's really good. That's just, let's do the end of today's lesson. <laughs> Jane, you want to read that? On page 154, lesson 89, paragraph 3 and 4, please. You're on mute, Jane. <laughs> you don't want to say any more. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. I had it open and closed it. Um, let miracles replace all grievances. Sure. It's a good idea. <laughs> I think so. Let miracles replace all grievances. By this idea, do I unite my will with the Holy Spirit's and perceive them as one? By this idea, do I accept my release from hell? By this idea, do I express my willingness to have all my illusions be replaced with truth according to God's plan for my salvation? It would, I would make no exceptions and no substitutes. I want all of heaven and only heaven as God wills me to have. Useful specific forms for applying this idea would be I would not hold this grievance apart from my salvation. Let our grievances be replaced by miracles. Name. Beyond this is a miracle by which all my grievances are replaced. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. <clears throat> by which all our grievances are replaced. And we'll get quiet for a little bit.
That was really good. Thanks, ladies. And Stephen, only Stephen driving in his car somewhere in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks ladies. Tim. Thank, Thank you, Tim. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Tim and everybody. Thanks, that was everybody. great. Have a good night. <laughs> good night, beautiful. Great night. Mm -hmm.